two weeks ago when I was speaking at the high school camp, I, I gave a talk on the evils of being judgmental. And after the talk, one of the students who went to a different church than ours said to some of his friends, well, I'm just glad that I'm not judgmental like you guys are. <laughs> the irony is immediately apparent, isn't it? But I think that a lot of us are like that student in one way or another. At one level or another, we can see what's wrong with other people, but often have a hard time admitting our own sins. I think it's really interesting how we describe other people's sins differently than our own. Other people have prejudices. We have deeply held convictions. (laughs) Other people gossip. We share prayer concerns, right? We need to really pray for Jim, right? Other people have bad tempers. We're passionate. We're so busy with the speck in someone else's eye that a lot of times we can't see the log in our own. Or we just plain old think that we don't have any sin. I've had a lot of people say to me, I don't really need God to forgive me. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm a good person. And suddenly I think we think to ourselves, I'm not a sinner. Sin sounds so sinful. I'm not sinner. I, I, I'm morally suboptimal. <laughs> I have ethical growth opportunities. And I think even in church, or, or maybe actually sadly, especially in church, we feel pressure to look perfect because we have turned the church into a museum to display the victorious lifestyle rather than a rehab ward for recovering sinners. This summer, we're looking at the Psalms as a way of teaching us how to pray. And in Psalm 51, King David gives us a great lesson in prayer on how to confess our sins to God. He wrote this after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband murdered to cover up his sin. And it's a psalm about admitting who we really are to God. And Jesus tells a similar story about a Pharisee and a tax collector, and that's also about how to pray. Only it's a little more shocking than Psalm 51. I actually think we miss the impact of what Jesus is saying. You've got to understand that in Jesus' time, tax collectors were the most hated criminals there were. They made their money by collaborating with the occupying Roman army and by exploiting their fellow Jews. They were hated. If Jesus were telling the parable today, he might put it this way. A pastor prayed, Lord, thank you that you made me so good. Meanwhile, a pornographer simply said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God preferred the pornographer's prayer. It is a very shocking thing that Jesus says. And both Jesus' story and Psalm 51 tell us a couple of important things about how we should pray. And the first is this. If we mess up, fess up. Confess. One of the most important things about prayer is to admit to God and to ourselves that we are sinners. And not in a miserable, groveling, I'm such a terrible person, please don't fricassee me, Lord, kind of a way. But knowing and trusting that God is quick to forgive. And I think we have a hard time with that. I think we have a hard time admitting our sin. And we learn it from our culture. When was the last time you heard a politician, a business leader, even a pastor, admit that they had done something wrong or that they'd made a mistake? We do not like to admit our weaknesses, our failures, our sins. So instead of repenting, 
We're in the business of repainting. Cover it up. Paint over it in all kinds of ways, right? Pretend it didn't happen. Or just lie about it. Or blame it on something else. The circumstances, our childhood, whatever. Or just try to offset our weaknesses with a lot of accomplishments. We try to make a lot of money and buy flashy things to sort of prove to everyone our net worth. Or marry someone who's smart and good-looking. Or, or get an impressive job. Or do a lot of church activities. All as a way of saying, don't look at my mistakes. Look at my achievements. Don't look at my sin. Look at my virtues. Don't you love me? Don't you want me? Won't you accept me now? The Pharisee in Jesus' story is doing a lot of repainting. A lot of covering over. He gave a lot of money. Fasted twice a week when he was only supposed to do it once a year. But his righteousness made him cold, not warm. And it drove him away from other people and even from God. Right? He's not coming to God in this prayer. He's coming at God in prayer with all of his good deeds. And his sense of his own self-worth, self-righteousness, distances him from other people like the tax collector. Whereas God's true righteousness always draws us into relationship with him and with each other. Because that's what God is about, relationship. So the Pharisees got a lot of sin. And all God wanted from them, all God wants from us, is that we admit it. If we mess up, fess up. And God wants us to do that for two reasons. The first is because it's good for us. All that pretending to be perfect is exhausting, isn't it? And what God says to us is you don't have to do that anymore. Just admit to me who you really are, and I will forgive you. And doesn't that sound like a relief? You can stop pretending to have it all together. When you come to prayer, when you come in this room, you can stop pretending to have it all together. What a relief. The second reason God wants us to fess up is that it helps us understand his character. That he is gracious and merciful and quick to forgive. Psalm 51 says God's mercy is abundant. He's not a miser with his mercy. He doesn't dole it out in little bits and dabs and dollops. He pours it out abundantly. God wants us to fess up in prayer so that we can stop working so hard, pretending we've got it all together, and so we can experience his abundant mercy. If we mess up, fess up. In our prayers, you simply say this, Lord, I'm a sinner, and here's how I sinned. Here's how I messed up. And he will forgive us. That's good news. But the news gets even better than that. Better even than this news is that not only can, are we forgiven and we can stop pretending to be perfect, but better than that, God also changes us to become new people. David says in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a right spirit. The good news is we're forgiven. The even better news is God gives us the power to be new people. This year, if you remember, we've had two different testimonies, one from an elder in this church and one from a student at Eastside Academy, talking about how God helped them overcome their addictions to alcohol or, or drugs. And in both cases, when they fessed up and then asked God for help, God helped them become new people. The good news is that in prayer, we can stop pretending and admit who we really are. The better news is that in prayer, we find the power to become new people. And maybe even the best news of all, better than even those two maybe, is God can use even our sin for good things. David says to God, after you've forgiven me, then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners how to return to you. 
That is, God's ultimate victory over our sin isn't just that we're forgiven, isn't just that we become new people, but that he can use even our sin to help others. That's the message of the cross, right? Our sin crucified our creator, but God used that event to purchase our forgiveness. God uses even our sin for good and to help other people. After both the elder and the student gave their testimony about how God helped them overcome their addictions, both of them had people come up to them after the service and say, how'd you do that? I need help. And they were able to point those people to God and give them hope that change was possible. God used even their sin, turned it around for good. You know, there are a few things more inspiring than someone who has experienced God's forgiveness and transforming power directly. I think one of the problems in in churches is sometimes we pastors can tend to talk about forgiveness as sort of a theoretical, academic thing. It comes kind of dry that way. But when you've really experienced God's forgiveness firsthand and really been changed by him firsthand, well, then you've got a story to tell, and that can help others. Good sinners make good preachers. A while back after I'd shared a story with you about how I'd lived with my girlfriend when I was 18 before I was a Christian, I had someone come up to me and say, I didn't know Presbyterian pastors were allowed to have a checkered past like yours. (laughs) And I said, oh, don't worry. If we were Baptists, I'd have to have a I was bad, now I'm good story. It's a requirement for ordination there. I think those Baptists are onto something. When we experience the power of God's forgiveness and transformation firsthand, then God can use even our sin to help others and give them hope. That's why King David goes public with his sin in Psalm 51, to help other sinners know that God forgives them. That's why the Apostle Paul is always saying, I used to kill Christians, but then I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's always talking about that. Why? Because he wants other people to know that God can change them too. God can use even our sin for good. So this week, when you pray, you don't have to pretend to have it all together. If you've messed up, fess up, and God will forgive you. And then ask him to change you. And then ask him to use even your sin for his glory, and he will. And that's real prayer. That's real worship. Psalm 51 ends with David saying, When all of this is done, then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. In other words, David is saying real prayer, real worship, isn't about getting the form right or the words right. It's not about the right music or the right sermon. It's not about us thinking that we've got it all together and we're doing everything right. In fact, David says God hates that kind of prayer and worship, that kind of self-righteousness. True prayer, true worship, is when we come to God with a broken and contrite heart and admit who we really are to Him and find His forgiveness and His transforming power. That's prayer. Honesty before God. I've told you before about the person who used to cut my hair in California. Her name was Sam. And Sam had a very checkered past that included things like drugs and promiscuity. But eventually she became a follower of Christ. But Sam was not your typical church person. She didn't wear typical church clothes and she certainly didn't use typical church language. And on her third or fourth visit to church after becoming a Christian, she met a woman at church who noticed some of her eccentricities and made some judgmental remarks about Sam behind her back and those remarks got back to Sam and she was furious and one day Sam was telling me about all of this using vocabulary and 
grammatical constructions that were very inventive. <laughs> As a scholar of language, I was fascinated because I didn't realize that certain four-letter words could be used as gerunds, but I learned something. And she said, I hate people like that churchwoman. That's what she called her, the churchwoman. Who is she to judge me? Well, she should go home and, and look up the word hypocrite in the dictionary. There'd be a picture of her right next to it. I hate it when people talk behind my back. That's the worst thing you can do. This woman talked behind my back. I hate it when people talk behind my back. Not realizing, of course, that she was talking behind this woman's back, right? And she's just going on and on. And, and finally, she just paused and she took a breath and she said, I don't know. All I know is this, that I have to get up every single day and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins, because I sure do need it. And you got to change me, because if you don't, nobody can. Sam had a checkered past. Sam had a very foul mouth. Sam was judgmental, especially toward church people. And I tell you, Sam went home from that conversation justified before God. Not because of anything she did to earn it, but because she knew that there was nothing she could give an all-holy, perfectly pure God to compensate for all the ways she'd hurt herself, hurt others, and hurt God through her own sin. And she knew if she was going to be forgiven, it wasn't because of her. It was because of what Jesus did on the cross. That was a righteous prayer she prayed. She didn't pretend to have it all together. She simply admitted to God and to me who she really was, knowing that God would forgive her because of Jesus. And then she asked God to make her a new person, and now God's using even her sin for good because I'm telling you her story to help you know how to pray. You know, I find it really interesting that the only people Jesus ever really got mad at were religious people. You know, he didn't get mad at prostitutes, thieves, or crooks. He got mad at religious people who thought that they were better than everyone else. God, it seems, can handle a sinner. It's smug religious folk that seem to get on his nerves. Because they never get the chance to experience His abundant mercy. They never get the chance because they never think they need it. You see, the gospel is bad news for good people. But it's very good news for bad people like me. As I've told you before, I am not a good person. I have a terrible temper. I think unholy thoughts. I'm incredibly self-centered. And I'm a pastor, so you all must really be struggling. And if getting right with God is up to me, I am in deep trouble because I cannot do enough good deeds to compensate for my bad ones. But fortunately, it's not up to me. It's about what Jesus did on the cross, and all I have to do is fess up. You know, nobody knows exactly what Judgment Day is going to look like, but here's my image of it, that I'm going to be standing before Jesus, and Jesus is going to say to me, why should I let you into heaven? And if I say, well, I went to church and I did some good deeds and I gave money to the poor and I was senior pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Belton. <laughs> and I preached some good sermons. There were two there that I really liked. <laughs> if I said that, Jesus would look at me and say with a broken heart, you didn't get it, did you? But that's not what I'm going to say. When Jesus says to me, why should I let you into heaven? I'm going to say, well, you probably shouldn't. I don't think it's a good idea, Lord. I'll probably just mess it up. But you promised that if I trusted that your death on the cross was enough to pay the price for my sins, you promised that'd be enough, and I put all my chips down on that promise. So if that's not the way it is, I'm in trouble because I don't have a plan B. And Jesus is going to say, welcome home. 
Here is a saying that is trustworthy and true. Christ Jesus died for sinners of which I am the chief. And our constant prayer needs to be like the words of the old hymn, Lord, should my good works overflow, should my zeal no respite know, that for sin could not atone, Christ must save and him alone. In my hands no price I bring, simply to your cross I cling, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me admit who I really am. Change me, use me, and let me hide myself in thee. That's how we should pray, honestly, before God. Jesus, thank you so much that you don't ask us to pretend to have it all together or work hard to earn your love. Lord, thank you that you want us just as we are and that you will forgive us, change us, use us. Lord, help us to pray honestly. Help us to admit who we really are to you and to ourselves, knowing that you want us and that you love us just as we come to you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.